One second. All right, we are recording. Um, I'm Jeff. Uh, I have Luke, Job, and a newcomer to the Randos channel, kind of, Paul. Um, but this will this will be a dual release. This will be on your channel, Paul, and this will also be on the Randos United channel. Um, and this is a reunion of sorts. I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, but um, the very first video that's on the Randos United channel is the four of us together. Uh, and that was uh, the first time that we tried the experiment of some randos from, from Paul's audience, if you will, or his subscribers or his regular watchers and sometimes regular guests. In, in the case of one of us, a many-time guest. <laughs> um, we had a, the experiment to all come together and, and talk to Paul at the same time a little while ago. So this is a, this is a bit of a reunion. Um, one of the things that I would like to throw in here before I forget, because I know our, our conversation can get going pretty quickly, is Paul, whether, whether we can talk about it in this conversation or I can just make a request that you talk about it at some point, is you've had Jeff Quackenbush on your channel a couple of yeah, times now. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he's posed a challenge that I feel like hasn't really been addressed, and it has to do with the ethic that reflects what we call the Christian ethic, it comes out of the Eastern traditions, um, you know, China, um, uh, the 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 various the various cultures from from that part of the world, and so I'd like to talk about that a little bit because I have some some C.S. Lewis evidence that kind of weighs in Jeff Quackenbush's favor. Surprise! I have some C.S. Lewis quotes, but. Um, I'll just I'll just leave it at that, and that's a, a bit of my introduction, and also a hope that we can either talk about here or that you can address it at some point, Paul. So I'll shut up for now. And he shuts up, and we have nothing. No, <laughs> no I don't think was, anyone should on, shut hang up. On, hang on, what's what's the statement that the Christian ethic is as its origins in the in the East? Uh, well, I, I think in your, was it your second conversation, maybe Paul with Jeff, he said, um, you know, it's, he, he basically said, no, this, this thing that we're calling Christian, it, it existed long before 2000 years ago. And, and it also existed in, in the Eastern part of the world. And I'll tell you what, it's not Christian, you know, yeah. it's very, it's a very, uh, a big assertion, but I've, I've had a difficult time as I've thought about it thinking, well, wait a second, this, this did exist. Now, from a Christian perspective and a Judeo-Christian perspective, one could say, well, yeah, God has been there the whole time. So it's no surprise that this would, pre this would exist before the historical person Christ ever landed on the planet. But, you know, that, that, was, that was argued, I think, pretty well by Matt Dillahunty against that point that just says, well, then you can always say that, right? There, you can make that assertion and you don't have to have the proof. And so Hang on a second here. What, what are we talking about exactly? <laughs> I, I still don't know what exactly is that. Like, what, what does he mean by Christian ethic? Paul, can you explain this a little bit better? I, I think he's arguing that the ethic of love, the primacy of love, um, is, is something that was not unknown to the East. Now, my difficulty oh. is that's a lot of stuff to, to study in depth. My initial thought is the, the dominant Eastern, Eastern metaphysic, which is of chaos, 
you know that you know where to, to, if you get it from kansas you know the old rock band you know all we are is dust in the wind it's hard to build an ethic of love on that but i you know there's a lot of philosophy and and religious thinking in the east that i am completely oblivious to and so i'm reluctant to weigh in without having done some research but that level of research I don't think is high enough on my salience <laughs> landscape. I have, th- to... I have thoughts. Oh, go. Okay. So you could say, let's say Buddhism, it's, it's older in that sense. And it, its own roots in Hinduism are even older than that. You could say the idea in there of metta, of loving kindness, of uh, having a, a certain attitude towards the other person who is also part of that one that you are a part of is, is pre-existing. Uh, pre-existed Christianity, but that is not absolutely in, not comparable to the Christian idea of not only is there a God that's a personal God standing outside space and time that I have a personal relationship with, that God loves me, that God loves the other, I love God and therefore I must love the other. There's sort of a small trinity in there of a uh, triangle uh, uh, relationship. That I don't think that's existed before Christianity. Jews especially wouldn't have liked it. If you said that, they'd probably get you killed. And <laughs> so unless unless they were, I'm overlooking older religions than Christianity, I don't think that particular embodiment of love, the way that that the creator God in which everything exists and through which everything exists also is primary existence and love and goodness. You could tell it to a Buddhist. They'd look at you like you were nuts <laughs> or a Hindu. Well, because... I... Go ahead. Sorry. I was, I was just going to throw in there. I, I don't think that that's the point that Jeff oh. Hugh is, is arguing against. I think you would say that. I burned the wrong straw man. Well, no, I, no, I think it's, I think it's a perfectly legitimate point. I still don't think it, it under, um, I don't think it uproots the argument that he was making because he, he might concede and say, yeah, that's fine. That might've been where it first appeared. And, you know, the, with the Hebrews and, and later on reinforced with, um, with Jesus, but the, the actual ethics themselves of, of love for another and care for another, um, doesn't doesn't need and there's evidence that it doesn't need that uh understanding of reality to even be present for this deeper ethic or for this other ethic to exist and and his point again would be that's not christian because it predates all of that i don't even need to have human in a in a god to be able to think that that is an important way to to approach life and approach um, reality and and approach life. No, no, no. But you, you you could you could reduce this all the way to say we're social species and therefore we need to love the other. Yeah, but I'm sure as hell not gonna love that asshole. And Christianity <laughs> just, says no, you should probably also love him, even though yeah, he's kind of a dick. So this I don't know what's um. So there's I don't know I have a lot of thoughts. I don't know if I can bring them all out. Um. So there was Kale had posted on the Discord a while back this lecture on the differences between monism, dualism, and Trinitarianism. 
on the Discord from Ellis Potter, Ellis. I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Which was really good. And this is where <laughs> I'll get I'll get up on my soapbox again. But this this gets into the differences between what you use the word embodied, and I would say fund. This is what I try to argue when I talk with Sam about why I'm probably intellectually Trinitarian is I think everyone acts Trinitarian because I think it's the nature of being. And I don't think you can get away with it if you're being. And so, um, and, and I think that, well, this gets into what I keep trying to go all into doing is doing some sort of series on revelation. Cause I think this gets into what revelation is and the different kinds of revelation and what the revelation of the Christ Jesus was and is and what that did and what it accomplished. Are you saying Not the only, book of revelation or revelation as a concept? Rev, the, the revelation of the incarnation, the revelation okay. of God, the, the unveiling of Jesus in the incarnation. Um, because, I mean, my understanding of the New Testament is that's what, he, this is Rene Girard, like things hidden since the foundation of the world. This was the unveiling and the revelation in a way that was previously not comprehended, at least propositionally, conceptually, maybe by the Eastern religions or by Jews or anything. But I would say that we knew that humanity knew in an embodied way because people love their kids. Ellis Potter talked about that in his lecture. He says within, I believe within Buddhism, he says it's, it's this monistic religion. And so he says, really, all love is actually what the cause of suffering. It's, it's we need everything is illusion, like illusory and, a, and an illusion. And so even loving, loving your child is actually a sin on that framework because it, it leads to suffering. But people do. They act as if, therefore, they're Trinitarian. <laughs> it's an, I've, I haven't listened to the whole video yet. I started it, and uh, I'm too ADHD. But I will, I will finish it. I'm sure after this prompting. Also, we dove right into the ph philosophy deep end, didn't we? <laughs> we did. Sorry. We did. <laughs> it was all Jeff. <laughs> Uh, to this Jeff, it was it was Jeff P and Jeff Q. <laughs> yeah, and and then oh, this so this is the other thing I would say about Jeff Q's <clears throat> thing, and this is something that Peugeot says is like it, it's it kind of gets into the the modernist evidentialist way of talking about these things of getting evidence and proving it is people will be like, well, there are all these dying and resurrecting figures that predate Christ. I'm just like, so what. <laughs> I don't care. That doesn't do anything to invalidate the truth of Jesus. Well, that, you know, it gets into your question about revelation, you know, what revelation is, what do we mean by that term, especially what do, you know, I'll just pick on Sam Harris because he's so patently pickable. Um, the, the idea so often that, that atheist apologists promote is that revelation is is new information out of the blue 
which is a fair argument because that is definitely one aspect of revelation. But for each of us, the way we use the word, um, we would say, you know, that's a revelation to me. That's that's a new idea, but is it a completely new idea? It's probably, you know, our our grasp on our our grasp on the distinctions of our ideas pretty thin. We flow between them all the time, and we forget. And yeah, you know, the I mean, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. New mathematical theorems, by that way, are revelations. Yeah, exactly. The world is full of it. And and so, what what exactly are they arguing? Well, and, and in all fairness, they might turn the table. And say, what are what are what do Christians mean with revelation? And you know, even going back to good old um, Reformed um, catechism, there's general and special revelation. Uh, what's general? General is just about everything around us. What is special? Special always comes wrapped in general. Um, we see it with our same eyes. We hear it with our same ears. We feel it with our same feelings. It's um, you know, when Jesus came in, he didn't have a, you know, the artist later put the halo on him. Um, he comes incognito. And as I've, the point that I've made many times, Jesus, we would imagine, would have been the greatest preacher in the history of the world. And it seemed like just about everybody begged off on him, at least when the uh, show wasn't there or when the government was pressing down on you. So what this, are you going to say? So this brings... <clears throat> So my, the thing I'd like to throw out in regard to Revelation is I heard, so there's this um, Orthodox priest father. He's actually the deacon of uh, the main, one of the main Orthodox seminaries in America, uh, St. Vladimir's in New York. But his name's John Bear. And he talks about, he has last name? B-E-H-R. Like um, yeah, yeah. He's a billionaire. He owns bear. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> he's gotten rid of all his wealthly, his earthly wealth. Um, so he, he actually came out here and I went trophy, with, trophy husband should have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what I get paid for. Um, so, uh, he came out here and he did a lecture and it's one of the, it's one of those, I mean, I bet you guys have these where every once in a while, it's, it's, I had a revelation when I heard him speak. I saw, I, I realized something in a way that I've never realized before. It was, it was a transformative um, moment for me. And, um, and the main point of his lecture was it was on, it was on revelation somewhat. And he, he went through, and he's so great because he's very dialogical in his lectures. He just sits there and throws out questions, which is really fun. And so all these people answer and he'll just be like, nope, 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 nope. Because <laughs> they have all these pre-canned Sunday school answers, right? And um, he, he starts the lecture. And there's, he's done this in many different forums. But he'll say, like, what was one of the most profound things about the disciples in the New Testament? And so people throw out all these answers. And he essentially says at the end is how dense they were, how, how slow of hearing and seeing they were. And he goes through all this. He, he walks you through all this, but he says a lot of people assume, and I would say kind of these modernist Christians assume and evidentialists like, Oh, if I was alive 2000 years ago, I would have seen Jesus. And I would have just been like, Oh, there he is the son of God. 
<clears throat> no, you wouldn't. And the reason we know, no, you wouldn't, is that's not what happened with the disciples. Right. And so with Revelation, what one of the most profound things to me and the pr most profound part of his lecture was that, so Jesus lives his whole life, what you were saying, Paul, he does all these things. People leave him, they come and go all the time. And he says, you know, like, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. People are like crazy. Um, and they want to be fed, so they come back. And, and I mean, he's obviously compelling in some way, but he's also kind of scary. Um, but then at the end, everyone and, leaves and him. People, and people think he's a jerk often. I mean, again, yeah. if you read slowly and closely the kinds of things he says, we're just, oh, you know, that's right. not what a moral person would do. Right. And then Revelation. So how his main point, I'll try to be quick, I'm long-winded. But his main point in the Revelation is that even after the resurrection, right, there's all these sightings of Jesus, but they don't recognize him. They don't see him. Well, that's weird. That's strange. All these people that were with him all the time don't see him. He shows up in the upper room. They don't know who he is. These people who walked around with him for three years don't know who he is. And then John Bayer's point, and I mean, this is pro. I had never seen this in, in all my Bibling and church. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, he does two things. He opens the scriptures, walking through the Old Testament, saying everything that has to do with him. And then he breaks the bread. And in the opening of the scriptures and the breaking of the bread, all of a sudden, boom, their eyes are opened. There's an unveiling. There's an apocalypse. There's a revelation. And they see Christ for who he is. John Bayer's point, Father, Father Bayer's point, and the whole thing is that the way the disciples saw Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, saw him for who he is, is the exact same way that we do right here and now. It's no different. I think it's a good point. It's a very Calvinist point. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. I mean, it's a Christian. It's Orthodox. I mean, he's Orthodox. Isn't this also an order and chaos thing, though? What do you mean? That revelation takes chaos or a, a revelation is chaos turned into order but not gradually so we don't because it's continuously we do this to the world anyway but it's like boom and right away there's a lot of chaos that's suddenly now habitable it's like it's mm. like when 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 i watched that first peterson video and he told me about Cain and Abel, and suddenly there's wham and suddenly there's christianity everywhere and you look at the world differently with not that it was chaos, but maybe I didn't understand it in a different way. So I don't know if this works everywhere. Maybe it's well, just bullshit. I don't know. Wittgenstein said similar things in terms of, you know, if, if a lion could speak English, we wouldn't understand it. And you could use all the same English words. You're not because the, the frame of reference for the lion and I think I think that's true, and and that's been validated <clears throat> with how many, how long does it take from people from two different cultures to begin to get on the same page? That's that's you know, or even my wife and me. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> even people who've been, you know, husband and wife for how many years? No, that's very true. So then, how does this apply to? So then my question would be, how does this apply to Jeff Q and then his question and then a response? Because this is, I agree with all that, but then how does that not become just like um, somewhat of 
a Christian trump card in dialogues about Jesus. Trump that's, card? Yeah, it's that's... Like, like a, an, an undefeat, something you just can't defeat in argument. It's like it ultimately wins. There's no way you can beat it. There's like a problem. I see this truth because I see it. And there's a problem in, in normal human relationships with this idea of trump cards and defeaters that and a, the democratic culture is simply allergic to any exclusivist claim, including Wittgenstein's. <laughs> because because the democratic the democratic ethos says no one everyone is equidistant from whatever from the same point at every time and that's a i understand why people like that idea and that idea definitely is within christianity in many ways but it's simply not true in how many circumstances you know i remember as a kid watching the little rascals the r gang comedies and one of the tropes in there was anyone can grow up to be president well, it seems, you know, increasingly in American politics, being a billionaire is super helpful. So even, even if you're not using your billions to, you know, fund your campaign, but you're fundraising. So, you know, this American vision of, of democracy and egalitarianism, eh, there's some real struggle. There's a reason it, it's had to be promoted, because as the Greeks would have said, are all people born equal? I'm not equal to LeBron. Um, LeBron isn't equal to me. In what, in what essence are we trying to compare the people? And there's near limitless numbers of, of aspects with which we can try to compare. So Americans are just really allergic to any kind of exclusion by our culture. So and you get used to that. I have a question for you, Paul. This is something I've been wondering about a long time, and I think it's profound biblically and i think it relates is and it's a recurrent theme throughout the new testament but what does it mean that and i'm thinking particularly <clears throat> the book of romans talks about this and then another point i can't remember but for god that god does not show partiality i i think when we hear that i think there's two ideas one is that there is no there is no pit so deep that God can't suck you out of it. I think that's one. And I think the second is God does not show partiality in the ways that the Roman emperor or the world would show partiality. And, you know, you might call me a little bit woke in this, but the Old Testament regularly talks about God's concern for the widow and the orphan and the poor and the neglected. It's I think this the same lesson that Jesus says when he says, you know, when you enter, when you enter the room, take the lowest seat. Um, God, God understands our hierarchies, and He loves to invert them. We put, can put them in Pajoian terms. So, yeah, I, I agree. How does that how does that relate to Trump card to like revelation and and knowledge <clears throat> and knowing the truth about Christ? I think it's both and in terms of if you were raised in a Christian culture or a Christian home or with godly Christian parents, there's no question that in some ways you have an advantage to know Christ, in other ways not. 
and they're both true at once. Because even those advantages by virtue of our depravity can, can become disadvantage, can become an immunization against the knowledge of Christ. Whereas, That's Romans, right? Like Israel, yeah, Gentiles. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's Romans 1, 2, and 3. And so Romans 1 says, here's the Gentile world. Romans 2 said, here's, here's the Jewish bubble. Romans 3 says, you know, in a sense, you're all in the same mess. Now, now Americans want to say, is the mess equal? Well, mm. whose who's mess is ever equal? They're, you know, equal with respect to what? Equal with respect to our, you know, it, it, there's just, we, we get into the habit of easy equivalences and easy imagined measurements in our culture when if you look more deeply at it, let's say you're a shrink and two different people walk into your office, are, are they equal? Equal in what respect? It's, you know, there's so many respects with which to imagine it's so many variables in individual cases equal has to mean certain very limited qualities that we are pointing to and even those are almost always aspirational so that's what i would say so my one of the ways and i mean if you guys have other stuff to say but one of the ways i wanted to did you doubt that luke could fill the video not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you, there's a fire hose in here. I'm just giving a drip. <laughs> Luke has to leave in an hour and a half, so then we can talk. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll give Luke his time. No, one of the things, so people ask you this, Paul, but I'm also curious, but I'll, but I'll take it really practical and not leave it so broad ideological. The kind of like, what have you learned since video one to now? But I would say, what has it taught you about people, specifically as it relates to Christian practice and the church, particularly in the American context, because that's our context, or, well, sorry, Joe, or the Christian, the Western Christian context, and in talking and relating to people, practically, what have you learned about how to interact with people, and then therefore potentially counsel you would give to either other disenfranchised religious randos or um or pastors who because this is the thing right pastors a lot of times are saying like these are the people we want to reach all these people but yet it's you know it's not happening well yeah, just to add to that question, uh, what what things have you learned about how to best help those people from this experience? Right. Well, I, I have to say that these last two plus years have probably been some of the most intense learning years of my life. And I've been a lifelong learner. I love to learn in just about everything that I've done in my life. I feel like I've learned. But this has, I mean, this has been intense and demanding just because of the volume of interactions and different people that, you know, I've been, um, had the privilege of sitting down with. And this, this meetup tour that we're doing in March, I'm thinking about that second week, that trip from Sacramento up to Vancouver, or really Fresno up 
through Sacramento into Vancouver and back down, that's going to be intense. Um, that's, you know, that's going to be a lot of interaction. So that will be challenging, but I think it'll also be tremendously fun. I don't know how good, boy, this stuff is so hard. You know, every, I woke up this morning thinking about um, what it means to be a human being with respect to dreams. I had this dream of that I was in some kind of weird go-kart race. Um, and you, you just realize that so much of our cognition is not subject to our control or volition. So much of it. My, I think, you know, I, I would have to say that probably my most influential teacher in terms of how to deal with other human beings was my father, because I spent years watching, and I wasn't, I didn't know that I was watching him, because you're just a kid, and you're just absorbing, just watching my father deal with many, many different types of people in Patterson, New Jersey, and in Whitensville, Massachusetts, and in other places, and his astounding love and generosity and openness and patience. Christians understandably want to, are highly motivated to sort of place people, sort of mold and shape and, and get people to say certain things and do other things, and pastors especially. And I understand that. I, number one, have a fair amount of skepticism that their vision of what people should say and do is necessarily that godly and Christian often, because there's so much Christian BS in the world, and we see it all the time. And the fact that people, people like to imagine that it's nominal Christians who sort of walk away from the faith, and I love to use Bart Campolo as an example of the other because by almost anyone's imagination, Tony Campolo is a, you know, is, is an amazing Christian man. And his son had a terrific opportunity to see him up close and to be deep within Christian ministry. And he walks away as kind of a quintessential nun, N-O-N-E-S. So I think, and I think the, one of the, one of the big things that both, and it was Verveke in my last conversation with him that, that noted, I, I had been noting a similarity between Peterson and Tom Holland, who's, who's sort of been my latest, um, you know, guru crush. And I, I just have regular guru, guru crushes. I get sort of fixated on someone and I want to study the heck out of him. Then I, I move on to someone else. But, you know, Verveke noted, you know, one interesting similarity between them in that they both had an ability to recognize and articulate um, the performative essentiality of Christianity in the West. Love that. So people, it, simply a verbal profession is, uh, and again, this is very, very Petersonian, simply a verbal prof profession of someone's 
of someone's proximity to Jesus is not necessarily our best guide. And I think this is biblical because, again, not only does, is God not a respecter of persons, but God looks at the heart. And when the Bible says that, it means God can evaluate us in ways that we don't even know ourselves. So I know Job, Job wants to get in there. So go ahead, Job. Have you raised your finger? <laughs> no, no, no. People are walking by and waving at me. I mean, my window closing the streets. I'm just waving back. <laughs> I got nothing. Job's, Job's got fans. They accumulate outside of his window. And... <clears throat> so, Paul, my, I agree with everything you said, and I think that's spot on. My, but this, I don't know. I'm thinking back to my first conversation with you. My beef, my struggle then, and my own personal experience in the church, though, is is because of things that I try to articulate often, pastors in, in America are not going to do that. They're not going to acknowledge what you just said. They won't. Well, there's tremendous social pressure within the church for good reason. Because yeah, we, we I, have to have these kinds of systems to have social institutions and coherence. And so, so, and that's why the proposition is never, the propositional level is never going away. And it's, it's really important in terms of social dynamics. But I also think that the church is insufficiently aware of, I mean, just look at what happens at a Billy Graham, used to happen at a Billy Graham crusade. You come down, you say the sinner's prayer, and they say, you know, you know, just as you are, immediately once you get in, just as you are, they're trying to change who you are. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a total lie to people that I just have to say Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I, I think about this when I think about, I don't want to name names, but certain theological traditions that, you know, they say, well, this person said or did this, and therefore we're we're really we don't even know ourselves how are we judging each other to such a degree and so i think i think openness is is very important but saying that i i do also want to recognize a point that i make quite often at church i have i've made it sometimes on my channel that jesus is both more open and more demanding than we think is is moral or responsible. And it's right. that sense in which Jesus, I mean, we, we're always working balance. So Paul Vanderclay is open. He's insufficiently demanding of people. And that's true. And it's not just true in terms of this area. It's true in terms of other areas of my life. And the older you get, the more you see that, that my strengths are almost always my weaknesses. So I, I haven't, I'll shut up. Um, how, so how does this, how does this relate? You, I won't either. How you linked a long time ago. It's one of my favorite things that you have promoted outside of your own content. Um, that Bruce Charlton article on what we've learned from modernity. And in that it, it essentially says that modernity has showed us a lot of what, I mean, this gets into what I call technological babble and even what I think Guy Sinstock was Singstock was saying the other day about technological colonization 
is that is inherently bound up within systems, I think. That's part of the mechanistic assumption of materialism and the whole modern world. I think, how does that relate to institutions and what Bruce Charlton was saying in that article that systems, part of what postmodernity, the postmodern critique was that when you think of things technologically, mechanistically, systematically, what modernity has showed us is there's just, there's too much, the world is infinite. There's too much information, there's too many facts, too many things, so then systems become infinitely complex. Carl, don't yell at me. <laughs> I understand the difference between, I mean, I don't know what you're saying, I really don't, but you're gonna be mad at me, so. You know that. Yeah, I know he'll be mad at me, no matter what, so. Um, but, so then you build systems upon systems, but it seemed like the takeaway that he was saying from that article is that there are things that are fundamentally not systematic, which are, which, which aren't, you could call them institutions. This is where it gets into your semantics of what you call an institution, but that would be marriage and the family. Those don't function on rules and systems. Yes, you have rules, but they're not. This is the whole, what I think the New Testament is talking about with like law and spirit is, is rules. You can't, you can't treat your kids based on like a tax code rule book or it won't work. The relationship won't work. You can't do that with your spouse. And I think the church was always meant to do that. So how does that relate to the institution and the systematizing of propositions within the church, but still having that? Because this is the thing, as I would say, when you, when you try to institutionalize propositions in confessional and statement of faith frameworks, you're going to continue getting the kinds of things that I think you've been experiencing with people throughout this last two years, and you're not gonna get deeper relationships. You're gonna get increasing isolation and exclusion. That's my whole point, kind of. My, my question about that is, this seems to be a relatively new thing and the church with all of these with all of this confessionalism has been around for thousands of years true you know and so if if what you said is what yields all this stuff it seems like it would have been happening a lot sooner yeah well this gets into i think somewhat and i don't understand this with like the I mean, if, and this is an assumption, but kind of like the Barfield evolution of consciousness, I think the way that we conceive of these things and like what has led to kind of, I mean, you see it in American politics, like this, the way that Christians behave in the church with unending schism and identitarianism isn't any different than what we're witnessing in the political realm right now. This is why I called, you know, somewhat Protestantism, like, religious intersectionality is because it's unending schism and so like somehow I think I agree with you we've had confessions forever but I think the way that we've thought about those and related to those has evolved in the last thousand fifteen hundred years I don't think the way that like the Nicaeans or or even the Orthodox now, I don't, I don't think they think of the confessions in the same way, theologically, that, that, that I was raised to think of them. Protestantism, I think, is a response to the, the, the tyrannical 
behavior of the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, you can yeah. just see that in Luther's story. Luther begins wanting to have a conversation about a bunch of theological things. And the, you know, the message he got very quickly from the Catholic Church is, shut up or we'll burn you at the stake. Luther had exactly the personality that said, you know, he's, I, that's why I always think about Martin Luther and Jordan Peterson together. It's like, well, yeah. if you, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> right. Here I stand. I can Here do Here I no stand. Other. I can do no more. You can put me in jail and I won't eat. And right. I believe him. Uh, that's, that's just how the dude is. Yeah. So um, I, think, I think what happened in Protestantism was an institutional manifestation of a lot of the dynamics that have been in the church all along. And when you, when you look at the kinds of theological disputes all throughout the Middle Ages, the church fathers, but, but at the same time, the only way we can have these disputes is with propositions and actions. Um, you know, and, and so I, 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 think these, I think these elements are inescapable and hopefully over time we continue to learn and and our understanding of them gets refined and improved perhaps but i you know the orthodox the orthodox churches had plenty of fights i mean you get you get into you get into them and they will fight over language because it's the only way we can often create these representations They'll fight over language. They'll fight over architecture. You know, I've made the point before that, I mean, one of the biggest, it was long before I got here, but one of the biggest fights this church ever had was whether to whether the, the carpeting on the stage should be royal blue or burgundy. And burgundy won because burgundy is the color of the Western church. I mean, it just, it, it, we will fight about anything. And I think anyone who's married should understand this. We, well, we, need, to do, we need to do it in a way, though, where like, it doesn't divide though because that's the difference between a healthy marriage and a dysfunctional marriage is yes of course there'll be disagreement it shouldn't and, divide you and then the question is what does division look like because for example in the protestant church division division is institutional but then there's evangelicalism where people are saying oh we're all bible believing church oh and then there's you know right. then you have the problem of the one and the many and and you can always and forever say well everything's one okay um Right. Give, you know, sign over your house to me, Mr. One. Uh, hand, give me your car keys. You care if I sleep with your wife? You know, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I always just kind of think, I, I understand, I understand seeing oneness, but I'll tell you, um, well, this, no, this one dollar is all the money in the world. Uh, you know, they don't let you buy a car with that. Well, there you go. That's, you can have both with the Trinitarianism with Ellis. Well, and I think that's and I think that's part of what happens. But by virtue of language and by virtue of action, uh, dualities emerge. Are you waving to people too, Jeff? No, I'm just pointing out that it looks like Job's ready to talk. I have fans too, Job. <laughs> pastor of the discord what are what are jeff and i jeff's like the you're the reincarnation of c.s lewis i'm the i'm the dave rubin of the discord i'm the <laughs> i'm the i'm the high in agreeableness low in intelligence 
Relative. This frock was this is foisted upon me. I did not ask for this. <laughs> it, it, it did work because yesterday I was supposed to receive somebody's confession and so on the Discord. And I said, okay, well, your sins are forgiven. Three cleaning your rooms and one bloody steak. And then they show a, a bloody steak in the photo album channel. Brilliant. That was uh, Severian, I think. <laughs> I actually didn't have anything to say, but... <laughs> no, what's so funny about this? I saw your mic illuminated, and I just assumed that means you're ready to talk. I was thinking of it, and then I was trying to figure out if I should. And Oh. Well, I think you should, Joe, because yeah. you're, you're kind of a... I mean, you've always been a little bit of a... Uh, you know, you're kind of like a weirdo. I get it. Yeah. Okay. No, no the no. outlier, right? You weren't raised in church. You weren't doing all so. It, it's really. I am very interested in how all this strikes you and your thoughts about it. This stuff is so difficult. Um, I uh, we had prayer week uh, two weeks ago. And that meant that there were five nights where you could go to a church and there would be a half hour service. But that means, so there was the Christian Reformed Church down the street, the Reformed Church where I go to, the little Catholic church that was started by Belgian refugees from World War I. That's where you can see where the border of my village is because that's where they were allowed to build a Catholic church. Uh, I, they can have fun, but not we get to see it. Uh, and so I finally had an excuse to go to that little Catholic church because I'd been curious about it. It's tiny, but it's lovely inside. Little thatch roof, statues, uh, rosaries. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I kind of miss that. But I've understood that in my church there have been debates about the tiny the tiny wooden cross in the front of my church, which is not in the center of the other frame where it's in to the left, it should be in the middle, but it's not, pisses me off to no end. But that's probably also a very particular decision. So you notice that like what, what you said, Paul, about the, the carpet color. And I've, I've been taking part in this course on liturgy design and like there's it's it's such a dance and you have to know all the moves and if you suddenly like well i like this dance better you're gonna step on someone's feet and they're gonna be unhappy with you and like we were doing this dance and everybody knows this dance why do you want to do see now everybody's feet are, are, are hurting and the only thing i can think of because you were talking about marriage and about division it's like well you need to confess to each other and the other needs to be willing to take that confession there's always going to be things you're going to disagree on and what matters is whether that's that's important like i am a huge i like i worry too much about food so and i always did cooking at home and this that's that's i love doing that so we have a nice division of labor because my wife doesn't like to cook she likes to eat what i cook and so, for instance, I'll make her a nice egg and, you know, in the pan and I take care of it. It's all nice and the balance is right. And just enough salt, just enough pepper, you know, like Peterson has this whole nice scene of how to really screw up an egg in a diner. In, it's like called Restaurant from Hell. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. It's brilliant. But anyway, I make sure it's a nice egg. 
and then I give the egg and you know coffee because it's probably breakfast and like here you go honey <clears throat> you enjoy that here is my my love for you embodied in this breakfast and she puts ketchup on the egg <laughs> like you are American barbarian <laughs> And she's like, but I like it this way. And like, it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be different. This is the liturgy. This is how you're supposed to enjoy that. This yeah, is and you're the objectively you're right, supposed to have. Job. Of course. But <laughs> at some point, you know, I figured that's the way she likes to enjoy her breakfast. I have my own thing. I love mayonnaise. I'm Dutch. I can't help it. She doesn't like mayonnaise. You know, I, I could show you a, a jar of mayonnaise and a jar of ketchup. That's our marriage in an image. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> and it's lovely because I've learned to just enjoy that difference for what it is. Mm. Because the surrounding uh, story is still there. And so I can disagree with things in church. Like, oh, God, these, these, these diabetes-inducing songs about Jesus that I just really don't care for. But... Other people really love those. Like, okay, you, I'll just pretend I haven't heard them. And then you're happy with, with the song. Yeah. Paul, I, you should I, write I, down diabetes. I did. I got songs. a diabetes inducing songs about Jesus. I got that there. That <laughs> might perfect. be a title. Oh, no. Uh, but, but also, like, uh, in the liturgy course, I was talking to a, a, a woman who was also going to be on the podcast where she got tears in her eyes just telling me about how she feels about the Lord's Supper and how important that is to her. And we're all focusing on different things within that same building. And yeah, it's it, guys, it's going to be a meaningless platitude no matter how I say it, but what's important is that we talk to each other about what we value in it. I don't know how else to frame it. I mean, and then you could say, yeah, but then at that point, why not just go back to the Catholic Church? Or the know. Orthodox Church. That's yeah. just that. I mean, I, I don't have an answer. I mean, so, that's just. A, so here's, can we take it this way? So then this is, this is what I would say is like what, what I think has made people coalesce around you, Paul, in this little corner of the Internet is that this was a place where people could say what they actually think. Yeah. They didn't find that in church. Yeah. Why didn't they find that in church? Well, other people have found it in church before. I mean, this isn't new. But not as a rule. That's why we all exist. Well, maybe yeah. you all hadn't found it in church, but, you know, there's Quakers and, I mean, there's liberal churches. And, but even, the, I mean, and, and there are things that you can say in our midst that will get you kicked out and there are people i mean jeff quackenbush hasn't been around a while i mean he might feel insufficiently valued or slighted or you know there i get there's i don't I, I don't know if he'll listen to this but you know there's someone who doesn't want to there's someone who sends me emails regularly about how he's not going to listen to any more of my videos because i let carl talk in the comment section and because i talked to john verbeke and you know that's people. They're, they're going to do it. And so, you know, one of the things you learn quickly as a pastor is that if that, that you can't as you as the pastor cannot be the, the border between Christ and not Christ in the world. 
you you can't be that and you can't entertain that thought and so when people get offended they get offended and and you try not to you try not to take that personally and you try and when they and when they express their offense to you as anger you uh you you live with that too and you try to love them and bless them that's 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 interesting paul that that you saying a pastor cannot be the the border between Christ and the rest of the world. There are plenty of churches that I've been in that say, no, Paul, that's exactly what a pastor is supposed to do. Yeah. So that's, that's confusing too, to, you know, the layman like us, where it's just like, okay, I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and I, obviously I disagree with that pastor, but am I going to talk other... that pastor out of it? No, there's a long tradition of that. So yeah. the whole term of border just sounds kind of weird. That's because you're in the Netherlands. <laughs> in the EU. You have a Brexit, Dutch Brexit, huh? That ain't going to happen. Aren't the, aren't the borders in the Netherlands always moving out into the ocean too? No, no. They're also going to Germany, which is where they need to be. Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't make jokes about this. No, no I, 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 I have just learned that when I'm going to be in your church, Paul, in the next you know, a couple of weeks. I've already told them, like, don't make comments on the carpet. Don't say anything about the carpet. No, Just, no, she, our, our church is <laughs> far more color, laid I'd back say, you know. <laughs> than it used to be. Who um, picked that color? Oh, and, yeah, they, would welcome, they would welcome Sam in. They're like, Sam, you're fine, as long as you like that purple carpet. But, yeah. but even look at, I mean, you might have caught David Fuller's comment to, to Andrea about his visit to my church. And right. someone asked him, very naive, innocently, naively, are you a Christian? And in America, that's just a, you know. Well, they used, are... they used code talk, Paul. Remember, they said, are you a believer? Right. All right. And, oh. and David was, you know, didn't quite know how to. And, you know, I look at an exchange like that because I know both sides a little bit. I mean, that there, those were Dave's issues in there. And he grew up Methodist and he's no longer a Methodist. And, and anyone who's you know, it doesn't matter if you grew up a Red Sox fans and you moved to New York and you sneak into Yankee games, you're going to have stuff about it. Um, Job doesn't get that reference, but that's okay. No, but it, I, I mean, I, when I first went to visit my then girlfriend, my wife in the US, she, uh, she said, I'll introduce you to some of my friends. Uh, one of her friends, for instance, was a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, <laughs> who asked pointed to me does he speak english <laughs> no no we've written in hieroglyphs to each other for like years but, and it, wonderful lady you That's know, but, you know true, joe first first impressions yeah that is true um <laughs> but she also took me to a a a friend of hers who she grew up with um and uh uh, that that's a, a, a black woman and her mother came from uh, Mississippi, like deep down Mississippi and had moved to Michigan. And my wife had then made sure to tell me, whatever you do, Job, don't talk to her mother about religion. Like, okay, I won't. I didn't. I didn't. She did. One of the first you questions talk out of back. Her, Oh yes. One of the first questions out of her mouth was like, So Job, have you been saved? I'm like, No, I'm an atheist. And 
this was the first time in the US. I did not know what people thought when they heard the term atheist. To me, that's just a perfectly fine term to describe yourself. I mean, to me, it was the perfectly fine term, but to her, it was like, what? How can you not believe in the creator of this world? And like, uh oh, this is not, this conversation's start, starting off well. So, yeah, that, I mean, that, that reminded me of what you said about Code Talk. I was like, shit, what now I do? I met a reader somewhere else, like, uh oh, like deer in the headlights. Like, well, yeah, I just, you know, it's, I was raised that way, but I don't really, you know, try to damage control because I wasn't going to tell her what I really thought about religion because of course eventually I did which wasn't a good idea because I said well basically you know as far as I'm concerned God is a bloodthirsty tyrant and <laughs> that didn't go very well no uh, and he doesn't exist <laughs> well yeah yeah but if he did <laughs> right. Then, right but I mean that that that, that whole frame of of how how you like are you a believer are you a christian yeah that is a have you been saved i mean as far as i was i didn't even know what that meant like have i been saved There's some hymn about being washed in the blood that i'm thinking of right now it's like it's carrie you know <laughs> what <laughs> the, the movie the the stephen king movie carrie uh, that was her uh, baptism into christianity blood <laughs> Carrie, that's what it's about, don't you know? I thought it was I a book of the Bible. It was based on a book of the Bible, right, Paul? This is this conversation. Poor Joe. Weird. Poor Joe. <laughs> just Google just Google Carrie and blood in YouTube and you'll get the idea. I don't think I should. <laughs> just just Google these seemingly inconspicuous terms. <laughs> Make sure your well, for work, work filter is turned off. Then, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but every, so all, every culture have has these language games. Every every political culture, every family, it, it is it is endemic to humanity that their words have significance within context, and certain words have more significance than others. And well, and, what's interesting is when you're the outsider, you recognize it. And right. when you're the insider, it is invisible to you. Yeah. So this is, a, I mean, this is all Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris stuff. What is truth? What is belief? That was the conversation you had, Job, right? Do you believe in Jesus? You know, what the hell does that mean? Mm. You know, yeah. like. Have you been saved? Saved uh, from what? I mean, I get yeah. that. And, and you know, most of the time, I, you know, I, I've just got this contrarian. I, I, I'm. I'm not that low in agreeableness, but I enjoy, I'm a troll deep inside <laughs> and it's a bad thing to be as a pastor. Cause every now and then you just got to let it out and show so, your true colors and, Trolls. And, and especially as a pastor, you can troll so well as a pastor because you, the whole situation in some context have, has just set you up for it to just say the most, trollish thing you can imagine and well paul i'd like to welcome you to this free open environment where you can you know explore that part of yourself and share it with us paul that's something i'm actually very interested in is and i mean don't answer if you don't want to but like <laughs> where have you changed in the last two years confessionally and ideologically that you don't talk about on your channel <laughs> 
you have a filter that means you don't say some things in your channel violate it please <laughs> <laughs> no i mean it's just we won't publish this <laughs> It's more, it's more, it's more interesting because it's something I've done a lot of thinking about and I quote you on is like in our first conversation, you talked about confessionalism being a thin crust on the outside, which is true. So what that, and, and I think, and this is true in this, in all these conversations we've had over the past two years, you know, are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus? But the reality is, and even in our conversations with someone like Sam is all of these churches no matter what they confessed, are full of people. Like if you went through the early church beliefs around, say, the Trinity, something as central as the Trinity of Christianity, you're going to have like monophysitists, you're going to have diaphysitists, you're going to have Arians, you're going to have all these different people within the church. They just don't know it. So what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Because if Jesus more than yourself. Which I think is a great, which I think is a great definition. But what, like, what's how hard can about you tell if someone's a Christian? You can't. You get signs, but right. And and then you have again the the Jordan Peterson Tom Tom Holland dynamic where someone from the Muslim world. I mean, when when I read when I read in Tom Holland's book about the fact that when Imperial Britain basically, you know, nudged the Muslim world to formally give up slavery. That was Christianization. I thought, yeah, that's there. There was a revelation for me, and I thought, that's that's a huge deal. Now, now, will either side of and it will either side of the current culture war conversations say that you know. You know, all oh, horrible imperialism, Britain forcing the Muslims to give up formal slavery. How dare they? You know, nobody's going to make that argument. There it is. And so this is why I think the abiding Christian teaching is that there is one judge. And, and, and so then the, the, the skeptical position, there is no judge. I find that position deeply unsatisfying. Because we can't all, we all do judge. We all can't help but judge. <laughs> but It makes it really hard to be mad at pedophiles. Job, go ahead. Unless they no, 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 no. Uh, hang on. No, no, Luke just said something. Well, no, I pedophiles think are... You know, so so right now, oh, there's so much. I mean, the internet, what does it bring to us? So so John Ortberg, you know who John Ortberg is? Yeah, he's a, he's, isn't he Presbyterian? Former right, pastor? John Ortberg used to be the preaching pastor at Willow Creek. Of course, Willow Creek, you know, Bill Hybels, the stuff about him. Just lately, Bill Azikian, who was Bill Hybels' teacher at Wheaton and Trinity. He's been in hot water over things. Uh, John Ortberg is is recently in trouble because he someone came to him and revealed himself to be attracted to children, and John um, and and said he hadn't acted on any of it, but John didn't make any moves apparently that formally kept this person from 
doing unsupervised ministry with children, which kind of really shocks me. But that's as a pastor, in terms of understanding confession and confidentiality is a very difficult thing. I mean, and, and in my church, there are times when I, I've had no pet. Let me just say this at first, you know, I've had uh, no knowledge of, of pedophiles in my tiny little church at all. No one has ever confessed that to me. So I'll put that out there. But there are times when I, as a pastor, will simply tell the council for looking at office bearers. When we, I don't think that person probably should serve right now. And council will usually just take me at my word. Now, that's a tremendous amount of power because if I decide I want to, you know, I have a bias against somebody. But at the same time, as a pastor, you know things that you can't, <laughs> that you can't divulge. And so you just have to, in a small church, you can do this. But as churches scale, it gets very, very difficult. So John Ortberg is in some trouble now. John Ortberg has a child who is transitioning from one sex to another. Um, and so, but it wasn't because of this, but because of the, the pedophile thing, John Ortberg was suspended from ministry in his church temporarily, at least. And it's just so, this stuff is so hard when it comes to real human lives um, and, and the, the wisdom that we need and the decisions that we have to make are, are, are torturous, especially if you have any degree of responsibility, control, or power. So it's just hard. And that's, that's, that's our lot. So what was the question? Well, it was, it was, it, it was about no judge versus one judge. And what's interesting about all that and tie and woven into everything uh, that you were talking about there, Paul, that I was thinking about is that the one judge idea knows every single factor that goes into every decision and choice that any of us make. And so you know, Luke brought up the point, if there's no judge, it makes it really hard to deal with pedophiles. And the one judge knows everything that, you know, went into what would, what would cause someone to even have um, those tendencies? What factors led to somebody acting on it? Was it their own personal will and evil? Was it things that were built into them? You know, what was it? And the, the one judge model accounts for all that. And the no judge model just kind of leaves you out in, you know, the wild west. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and also getting away with stuff. I mean, that's, it, I, it's been so interesting. I mean, the, the many blessings of Donald Trump um, and if anybody follows me on Twitter, they have a, or on Facebook, they have a certain degree of idea about how I feel about that man. But some of the blessings of Donald Trump is that I watch, I watch people who on Twitter and Facebook and out in the public media have been just posturing themselves as overwhelmingly open and agreeable. And, you know, they're never going to judge or condemn anyone. And hell is the last thing that would ever cross their mind. But once Donald Trump comes along, boy, they know who their enemy is and they sure want him called to account and judged and held responsible and all of that. And odds are that in the way human history works, a man like Donald Trump is, you know, is, is he going to, we don't even know what judgment means. 
I mean, how do you, what is just to do to, I'm not saying Donald Trump is a pedophile. Um, I think Donald Trump, Donald Trump's sexual tastes are pretty obvious to most of us by now. Um, what do you do with a philanderer or a pedophile? What does justice look like? We have no idea. And, and so it's, it's absolutely reasonable that our narratives throughout history have pushed this into an afterlife where some of the rules of the manifest image that we currently navigate don't hold. And, you know, so I got into a little, there's a, there's a guy in Sacramento, he's a therapist who had theological training and you can find him on Twitter because I go back and forth with him. I hope that I should probably set up a coffee date sometime and build the relationship with him. Because one of the things that, one of the things that you learn, you know, Luke, in terms of your question is that the more it's, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to take cheap shots at, at a little two-dimensional face of someone talking on the internet than once you enter into a three-dimensional relationship with that person. And so whereas I can say probably straw manish things against Sam Harris or, or other people on the internet, if I were to sit down with Sam Harris and have a meal and coffee, you would probably note what, because now I have all this video evidence on the internet, that I'd softened against Sam Harris because I'm not only high in openness, I like people. Right. And the, the number of people that I like, once I meet them, I, I just like them. It's just how I'm wired. And so, right. and, and you know, some of the things I said about John Verveke before we started having real, you know, at least conversations like this, after I meet him, and I don't know if he's the hugging kind or not. Um, but, you know, and after we sit on stage and, you know, I'm going to like him more. And that's going, to, that's going to alter my commentary on his things. And I'm going to pull punches and I'm going to be more generous. And, and I don't think those are bad things, but they, they're not necessarily completely good things either. So this all is just really, really complex. And so that reminds me. <laughs> that reminded me of was it uh Severian who made the the four p's one dimensional two dimensional three dimensional yeah, yeah, four yeah. no it wasn't was it Severian? i can look it up i put it on my blog i thought it was great yeah but then that what that makes me think of then is like because you were just saying when you interact with somebody as a as a two-dimensional or a one-dimensional thing rather than as a full being that you can hug and interact with and that you have to live with as a family. Well, well that's what, Siroc, there you go. That's what, that's what propositional is, right? It's one-dimensional in his framing. And so, so that's, that almost to me is like what you were basically talking about in a story, the, what we're talking about propositionally, which is that when you treat people as merely propositional, just like a one or two dimension thing and not a real person that you have to love and hug and interact with, like in a family, like in a marriage, you start to, you're dealing with your idol of them, your projection of them, your, your static, lifeless image of them. You're not dealing with them as an icon. This is why I the think- grief the observed. That's what I hear. It's a grief yeah. observed right there. Yeah, that's exactly. I think that's what Lewis was talking about. And so, 
And that's what leads to straw manning, judging, and then schism, because you're not treating a person as the infinity, the expression of the infinite is also infinite. You're not treating them as an infinitely complex being that has its ontology rooted in Trinitarianism. But that's what dealing with someone propositionally does. But, but the most, the most four-dimensional relationship you have in your life, which is probably a spouse or a parent or a child or a partner, a spouse, you also, that the other scales as well, because there's no one that you can hate like your spouse. Mm, for there's sure. no one that can make you angry like your spouse. That works too. Right. Everything, everything is heightened. Yeah. Oh, but that's because you, at that point you expect the other to also have the 3D view of you that you have of them, which makes whatever they say more painful in that supposedly deeper understanding context. And I don't know, in my marriage, is it's the thing I really try to do. Like, okay, she did something. She probably didn't do it to get the effect that, you know, how I need, you know what I mean? Like, right. whatever she did was not supposed to piss me off. So the fact that I'm pissed off is probably my fault. Mm -hmm. And that's seriously, that stuff's important. It also oh, come makes on. Me... In your marriage, you piss each other off intentionally too, I bet. <laughs> uh, wow. You know, that's possible. I should ask. <laughs> Sometimes it's intention. It's unintentionally intentional in, in my in my experience. Um, and so many thoughts flying around. There's there's a brilliant um, Lewis essay called "The Trouble with X" that I would recommend everybody look up and read that ties into this. But there was also a, there was a conversation going on. I think in the voice chat of the Discord last night, where there was some questions about uh, good faith discussions. And I think you, I think good faith discussions, um, when you start to suspect that someone is not operating in good faith anymore, it's, it's when these dynamics come, in, come into play, where it's just like, this person knows better. Um, they're, they're intentionally uh, missing the point. I think, I think more often than not, people are, are not intentionally missing the point. They are seeing what they're seeing, and it infuriates us that they can't see it the way that we're seeing it. And sometimes well, it's kind of a both and, right? Like yeah. part of them is probably seeing it correctly. Yeah, but and part of them is it. And how much are how much am I aware when I'm partially seeing it and I'm not? Yeah. Right? How how much of me is just being stubborn and not wanting to see what it is that somewhere in the recess of my consciousness I know that I see, but what am I going to have to give up? What what ground am I going to give up to them? And then are they just going to completely discount my perspective if I do? That's, that's so much of what I go through in, in my disagreements and arguments that I get in with my wife. And this yeah. is where Christianity is incredible. And all these esoteric philosophical conversations like this, what I say to my wife, are incredibly practical. Because what you just said, good faith conversations, and, and we have this duality of there's certain things we see but we're maybe repressing it's kind of elephant rider it's kind of iceberg there's stuff that we're maybe seeing that we're not seeing and we're acting in certain ways <clears throat> the christian ethic is self-sacrifice right so in a conversation where you're 
maybe you're trying to be so whatever i mean maybe carl will see this i'll just carl it was all public anyhow it was on the conversation and in all the comments on me and Karen's conversation, Carl made a bunch of comments the other day that I that really felt like bad faith. It felt like he wasn't trying to understand me. Um, and so I've been talking to people because really like I'm, I'm such a ridiculously emotional person that like it really affected me. Like it sent my whole day into a tailspin. Kind of. There were other extraneous factors, but it affected me a lot. Because I don't, I'm always just, whenever I, whenever someone is mad at me i'm like you just must not understand <laughs> how, how can you not love me <laughs> well i mean i understand how you could not love me too but i'm okay but um it's the trials of a trophy husband <laughs> <laughs> God. it'll be luke's channel yeah a trophy husband yeah <laughs> um uh so, but then so so then i'm trying to figure out like i'm, I'm just trying i'm I'm having all these thoughts, right, of self-sacrifice, racking my brain, just not scapegoating and demonizing others, but just like, wow, whatever, you know? So I'm just like, how can I, I think this should always be the Christian's thought, is how, how can I be Christ to the world in this circumstance? Mm. Like, how do I act Christianly in the circumstance? How do I sacrifice myself? Maybe he has bad faith. Maybe not. Maybe it's just a temperament thing. And because, I mean, I think, I really think it's a good assumption to think everyone has well intended. Everybody gets, that came up in the Discord last night of like judging intentions. And I'm just like, who cares? It's deeper than that. We just say this all the time. The road to hell is paved with them, right? So stop analyzing intentions. You know? um, I do think, I do think that Carl is driven by a love of the truth. Um, but, but then it's just like, it really feels like you're not trying to see something that maybe you're not seeing that I could be saying. So then I'm like, how do I engage? What is my response then as a Christian? How do I engage that? I, and I really felt like I was at a impasse. I just didn't know. I was like, I feel like no matter what I say in this format or in this context, it's not going to work. What? Which which Peterson rule is it? The assume that someone knows something. Rule nine. You don't. Whatever number that is. Nine. Um, rule nine. Yeah. Nine. Nine, nine. I'm just thinking this. German, German rule. Even in what you think, and this is impossible to do. I'm just throwing it out there theoretically. I, I shouldn't say it's impossible. I know for me it's very difficult to do this in the moment. But if I could, if I could ever seize on this idea of presume not even presume to just just be convinced especially when you are when your spider sense is going off and you're saying this is in bad faith this is in bad faith say there is truth in what this person is saying i need to dig in and find it and agree with that person on the truth that i can find right and if you do nothing else and you just do that they may be 99% wrong, but there's at least 1% of truth in what that person is saying. And if you can find that, that's, that's a way, in my experience, that's been a way to build a bridge. Right. And it doesn't yeah. matter as a Christian, right? Even if they're in bad faith, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay, Everybody with Jesus was bad faith. <laughs> in the whole acting like Christ self-sacrifice thing, there is a 
as far as I'm concerned, a real risk in self-sacrificing and by self-sacrificing smothering. And that's elaborate. Well, wait a sec for Paul to come back. I'm gonna pause. I'm on pausing now, and and Job, you you said something about um, self-sacrifice <clears throat> when I had mentioned that there's oh yeah there's, there's a, at least one percent truth in what somebody's saying smothering yeah yeah well that yeah you could be Christ-like but then you can also not allow someone to grow by always kind of I know be your always so what's this you're curling the floor in front of them they don't get to stumble. You're enabling because you're always yeah. sacrificing, and I don't know, but that might just be a, a dumb remark on my side. Maybe that's just oh. the way this is. Ooh, can we be codependent with Jesus? Oh yeah. Well, not on not from his side, but from our side, absolutely. <laughs> as as pastors, you see it all the time. Why? I mean, he says, "Go pick up your cross." Yeah, and he also says, "You know, ask anything, and it'll be given." Including the cross. <laughs> People don't do a lot of asking. Jesus, for that. can I have a cross? Please? <laughs> well, it, there's also the, the be careful. You already have you, one. Yeah. There's the be careful what you wish for, right? You'll you'll ask for what you want and you'll get it, but it'll yeah. come in a way that you weren't expecting sometimes. Lord, can I have humility and patience? <laughs> for those things. Well, the good, you know, Job, I don't know if you've seen is the good place in the Netherlands? Uh, yes, uh, it is. The Netherlands is has the Netherlands. that name. It is pretty much that. Yeah, <laughs> it's also known as the Low Countries, but also yeah. The... <laughs> but that's part of the. That's part of the. I, I want to be careful with spoilers because I'm trying to hold back on spoilers for a while in that little series. But that's part of what the show deals with. That self improvement for most of us requires. Uh, difficulty and that's and you see that all the time with codependent relationships that um, they're 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 desperately trying to make life better for their children which all of us as parents want to do and so so figuring out using having the discernment to figure out when to remove an obstacle or when to you know you're just watching them and you know they're gonna hit it and it's like okay and you just sit and watch and 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 to then sometimes people come back and say you saw that coming yeah i did well how could you why didn't you stop me well sometimes you actually did try to stop them and they didn't listen or you just know uh, what conversation was it oh it was, it was with guy about advice giving you know people mm. people don't work that way Oh, if you tell me all of the pitfalls, I will avoid them. Yeah, right. Maybe if you're already um, fairly wise and open and actually have a degree of control over yourself, but most of us don't. And so, yeah, Sam Harris, if we could just all be rational and just do all these obviously reasoned things. I would, I would, I would like to take a liberty for just a second, if you guys will indulge me, to just read the first two paragraphs of that Trouble with X episode because I think it ties to the or Trouble with X essay. Because I, I can't hear Jeff. So he says. I suppose I may assume that seven out of 10 who read these lines are in some kind of difficulty about some other human being, either at work or at home, either the people who employ you or those whom you employ, either those who share your house or those whose house you share, either your in-laws or parents or children, 
your wife or your husband are making life harder for you than it need be even in these days. It is to be hoped that we do not often mention these difficulties, especially the domestic ones to outsiders, but sometimes we do. An outside friend that asks us why we are so glum and the truth comes out. On such occasions, the outside friend usually says, but why don't you tell them? Why don't you go to your wife or husband or father or daughter or boss or landlady or lodger and have it all out? People are usually reasonable. All you've got to do is make them see things in the right light. Explain to them in a reasonable, quiet, friendly way. And we, whatever we say outwardly, think sadly to ourselves, he doesn't know X. We do. We know how utterly hopeless it is to see X, or how utterly hopeless it is to make X see reason. Either we've tried it over and over again, tried it till we are sick of trying it, or else we've never tried it because we saw from the beginning how useless it would be. We know that if we attempt to have it all out with X, there will either be a scene or else X will stare at us in blank amazement <laughs> and say, I don't know what on earth you're talking about. Or else, which is perhaps worst of all, X will quite agree with us and promise to turn over a new leaf and put everything on a new footing. And then, 24 hours later, will be exactly the same as X has always been. And I, when she started re reading, I remember that essay so well. <laughs> My favorite biography of Lewis is the Narnian, because I think more than any of the other biographies, it, see, Lewis was, could be terribly private. Um, he, he, you know, <laughs> a grief observed was a, a, you know, you know, basically a life obscured. Um, and but 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 Alan Jacobs in the Narnian goes into, you know what what was his what was his relationship with Mrs. Moore. And we've got enough circumstantial evidence to imagine that he's living with this crazy woman who he likely had a romantic and sexual relationship with, of if possibly with Lewis's own kink, and but then he after becoming a Christian lives, you know, serving her in a very cruciform way. And, but, but even see part of the crazy thing about Christianity is that you can tell yourself you're doing something in a cruciform way for X because, and at the same time, it's just all codependence and you don't have the courage to negotiate. You know, so you got to take the Jordan Peterson stuff also in there that, Oh, people, 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 people. And it's, and it's us. I mean, and so I was, I was actually, um, you know, my wife had said something to me a couple of days ago that kind of set me off. And, and again, nobody can set, can set someone off like their spouse because spouses is just way too much territory that you're all contact with. And, and, you know, I had a uh, I had many good reasons why she should not say do or think as she does but 
it began to dawn on me that there wasn't just a little bit of something wrong in me that was contributing to my pissiness about this interchange. And whatever's on her side of the line is on her side of the line. But always recognizing that there's something on my side of the line. I can't do a lot about what's on her side of the line. Um, but I should be able to do more. I'm more responsible for what's on my side of the line. And so it's just, and so there you, there you do it. There you do the Christian mortification and the confession and the, and the examination. And um, it's, and that's part of the reason I really love Lewis because that aspect of the Christian life is such a huge percentage of it. If the problem with X, the number, the percentage of the percentage of people who come to me and that's what they want to talk about with me is what, 80%, 90%? That's us. That's humanity. That's why I love the great divorce. Because the scene on the bus at the beginning of the book, that's I got the same thing, man. Like I've done this meetup two times now. And the first time I was already prepared. Oh, you know, uh, I had all my philosophical notes. And all we talked about was kids and, 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 <laughs> and, and, and uh, meaning and, and Victor Frankl. And uh, so the second one, okay, we had a subject. We we're going to talk about evil. So I had all my like, okay, is evil universal or a particular? And um, I had uh, the ring of Gaijis and uh, well, what if somebody is psychotic and responsibility and evil? All prepared. You know, three people showed up. So there were five of us. And we just talked, we didn't even talk about evil. We talked about, about truth, about how to be a good businessman how to train people to actually elevate them instead of just having them work for you uh that's what people want to talk about we didn't even talk about anything so philosophical and as soon as i brought up you know the the problems with objective morality people were like yeah no that's kind of too difficult let's talk about this instead and like next time i'm just not even going to bring notes it's clearly pointless <laughs> And here I was being, all, oh, no, they're going to ask me difficult questions about philosophy. I'd better be able to answer them. No, <laughs> no, that people, that's not on people's minds. So that's exactly what you're saying, Paul. People come to you and say, I want to talk about this. Let, are you sure? You sure you don't want to talk about Wittgenstein? No. <laughs> but that's what's so great. I mean, I don't know. I get... Obviously, I like philosophical conversations almost as much as anyone, but what's, and Paul, you bring this up on your channel a lot, and I think we all find this true, is that some, most often the most meaningful and transformative conversations are the, are the personal ones, are the ones where we're, and this is, and I was going to say, Job, even in, in all of that, um, you're, when you're talking about kids you're you're talking about philosophy you're talking about all this really deep stuff at the same time you're just not using you know esoteric you know ten thousand dollar words to do it and it doesn't and it scales because everybody can talk about that 
um, most often, I don't know, I said something on the Discord the other day, and I think it's true. I really do, is that like a propensity toward intellectualizing things or even high intellect or high IQ, I would argue, I don't know, I almost feel like it's, it's often and maybe more often a hindrance to genuine faith than a help. Could be. Whatever, I mean, if I, we can define genuine faith. Well, I think it just distracts us. It's really easy for us to start using ideas as a heuristic. And then you just say, well, I'm just playing this game of figuring everything out conceptually. Right. Well, that's difficult, Luke, because I get, I get that retort sometimes on the Discord. Perfectly fine, valid by, you know, people I respect say, well, you know, you're trying to figure all these things out. You're trying to, you know, do it all philosophically. But, you know, maybe it's not what you should be focusing on, if, if I understand their comments correctly. But also, you can't just take things at face value. You got to think about them. You can't just, oh, yeah, sure. Right. I mean, with some things, yeah, you know, um, I have no good examples. But but it's also a function of certain people. Yeah. And and in terms of my channel, well, you know, that's that's a high degree of the people who have come here. You oh. know, we're all kind of bound up in our heads, and we have to think things through, and it's just part of what we what we have to do. Other people need to knit. Um, other people need to go chop wood. Um, it's, it's, and, and it's the point, point yeah. Well, I, I mean, it is true that at least I've come to this realization for myself is that at some point, it's just, nobody gives a shit. Like I can read this book about Kant and say, oh, that was really useful. <laughs> Nothing matters. It's like before you were enlightened, you chop wouldn't you carry water and afterwards you mm -hmm. chop wouldn't you carry water you keep doing the same thing you know like i actually had a weird thing this morning where i often have thoughts when i'm taking a shower and you know it's when i've figured many things out that later on the discord i kind of work out so you know i was thinking about things and i got this strong idea of like whatever you're a christian just act like it okay fine and that's just been kind of sitting in my head the rest of the day. Like, well, maybe that's the whole idea. Doesn't mean I can't read the book. Fine. But it's kind of, not, it's not the, the focus of it. It's just, yeah, you can read the book on the side and you can talk with your nerdy friends on the Discord. You go do that. But what, what still matters is that, okay, you know, having conversations with you folks, uh, going to church tomorrow, doing the podcast, uh, there's probably a fancy Verveki word for what I'm describing. <laughs> Agave. <laughs> Watch out, Paul. <laughs> there probably is. There probably is. Yeah. I don't know. That was just kind of sitting in my head. So I had to talk about that sometime. I got nothing new otherwise. There's, there's something that links up for me to what you called genuine faith, Luke. Um, and Paul, I think you alluded to a little bit of, of where the ideas connect for me with your definition of what a Christian is, somebody who trusts Jesus more than they trust themselves. Um, it has to do with, you know, 
where Luke, you had said the the higher the intellect, maybe the more difficult it is to to reach genuine faith. Um, something I thought about is uh, the more control I have, the more direct control I have over something, uh, the more I'm going to rely on myself, the more I'm going to trust myself. So if I have direct control over figuring out a situation because I have a, a higher intellectual capacity or ability, or ability to problem solve, I'm not even going to think of relying on trusting in, to use, to use um, the frame that you presented, Paul, trusting in Jesus. I'm going to trust in Jeff. I'm going to trust in my problem solving. I'm going to trust in uh, my money to be able to deal with the problem of, you know, the, the leaky pipe that needs to be fixed and the plumber's going to charge me, you know, a thousand dollars or however much they're going to charge. Well, I'm just going to rely on my money. I'm going to rely on my resources. It's, it's when I run out of the ability to address the problem myself that I have to fall on my knees. <laughs> I cannot right. do this. I am finally at my end and there's nothing that I can do to, to fix this problem. Well, that reminds me of what you said, I think with Guy, Paul, I believe that you were talking about, and I quoted it in the comments, but like you're, you're beginning to think that a lot of the problem, the meaning crisis stems from uh, our affluence and something else. Cause that's essentially exactly tied to what you're saying, Jeff, is you, because we're affluent, we think we have control over all these things. And so we don't need, we don't need trust, but then ironically, and this is where all these spiritual things and material things come together, you know, and where heaven meets earth is because you could say, you know, the Bibles don't store up for yourselves where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves in heaven. Well, this, that's not just some like nonsense abstraction. It's really real and practical. So it's what they're essentially oh. saying is what they're essentially saying is don't, don't trust in your bank account to fix your pipes. You know, be, like if you have a plumbing issue, because that's not where your faith is. It's like that could go away in an instant. That's the thing that we don't. This is this is why I love that George McDonald quote so much from Lilith is that no man understands anything. And when he gets that, that's his first tottering step, not toward understanding. But toward the capacity for one day understanding, because we don't really understand how the world works. We think, oh, I have money in the. So I have a good job. I have money coming in. I have this paycheck. I have this house. I have this stuff. I can pay off that bill. I can do, it could all disappear. You don't like, it could all disappear in a second. And God in his mercy may do that to you to show you you've built your house on sand. What's that? What's Sin that terrible you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to tell that story to me, <laughs> to be someone with my first name. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, is, yeah. It reminds me of that parable, Paul. Uh, I just recently saw it, um, but I can't remember where it was. I'm sure, I'm hoping that you'll know it very well, which is the, the man that Jesus talks about who had like a, an abundant crop and his, his barn was too small to hold it all. I'll build a barn, builder. barn. Yeah. I have enough to live on for the rest of my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, I'm just gonna live it up. And then how does it go? He, I, God, tonight you're basically, I'm, God comes to him and says, oh, I'm, I'm calling in the loan, which is your life. I'm doing it tonight. And, you know, what happens then to your plans, little man? And, yeah, the barn builder, the parable of the barn builder. Yeah. Great parable. 
and it can and it's it can, so true it can all just go away i mean i've been i've been thinking about you know uh i've been researching investing and luke and i have talked about this before where it's just like well, what if 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 i if i am blessed with surplus funds beyond what i need to live on well, what is the best thing to do with it should should i store it up to try to make sure that I'm not a burden for anybody else in the future uh, and invest it in such a way where I'll have X amount of dollars in the bank because I know I'm going to need to continue eating when I can't work anymore and I can't produce an income or, you know, should, should I release that money into the world for bringing, making a difference, making more good happen in the world right now and not, not put my faith in, the money to take care of me in the future, but to just kind of let it go. One seems very reasonable by a certain standard and the other seems completely unreasonable. Yeah. And it just depends on what your perspective is on which is the unreasonable version and which is the reasonable version. Is that the right term or is it which one brings the kingdom? That's code talk. Well, no, I no, agree. It, no, it is not code talk. <laughs> I, I disagree with that. I don't think that's code talk. I think that's very real. Uh, I and code talk I'm, isn't I'm, unreal. I, it's just of a certain language. Yeah, that's, uh, okay. I should say I that's insider talk, Job. You'll have to explain I, what that Job, is. Job, I I get what you're saying, but I think what Jeff is saying is that you can you could, from a Christian perspective, talk yourself into either way of living and deciding and justify them and rationalize them both as kingdom. I'll tell you a story that I heard in seminary years ago, and I've never, I mean, how much of seminary haven't I forgotten, but you never forget the illustrations. There was a, I'm not going to name him, but there was a fairly prominent reformed theologian who did not believe he should store up treasure on earth for retirement. And he, I mean, this guy is published. He's, he's not a level, but anybody who's got too much, um, who's got a little bit of reformed um, education would probably recognize his name. He's published, he published some important books. So he opted out of social security. He denied a pension. He saved no money. And this man, because he was well known, um, uh, when, in fact, he was elderly and could no longer write books or teach seminary or any of these things, still had to eat. And so his church, his community, because his name was known fairly broadly, people put out word and a whole bunch of people went through a whole lot of work to make sure that this guy would not die of starvation once he could no longer draw an income. And they took care of him. Well, okay. What's our perspective on that story? Was he irresponsible in, in sloughing off his, um, his due diligence in caring for his retirement years? Or did, you know, God simply provide as he always imagined God would? I, I don't know. I mean, this is really difficult. Like uh, friends of mine, and they're not even friends. They're people I met once, and they live in America. And uh, we, we, they're friends of us on Twitter, basically. Their little girl has cancer, has had it for a long time, uh, and is now like she's that girl has wanted to die, 
you know, she said that to her parents because the suffering is so terrible. Yeah. The cancer is in her spine. It's yeah. just, just, just torturous. They can't operate because the cancer's in her spine. So they're going into like the last uh, months maybe of, of this long process. And they're saying, well, any, any, you know, if you, if you can help, we'd appreciate it. And that's when I think, okay, yeah, that's, that's how, what can I do? So I send money. But then of course, next question is, why well, am I doing enough? How much should I send? Should I even be sending? Could I not give this money to somebody who is closer to me? Yeah, but closer in what way? Mm. Uh, in my village, in my family, where, where, where's that border again? Where's that barrier? I, I don't know. And then that doesn't mean that, yeah, I could also maybe if I invest that money, you know, I could do something even greater with it if, if I had more because I had that profit. And then I, then I kind of get into, then I feel like I'm in the same domain as when I'm reading all the philosophy books, like I'm thinking about this too much. And instead, I just send money. And then, well, maybe I made the wrong decision or for as much as that decision even exists. Like, well, the fact is they had money that they didn't have and I had money that I could spend. I mean, that's so difficult. When, when I don't have an answer and maybe there isn't. Well, of course there is one, but I don't even know if I'd be, when, yeah, I got nothing. So my, I don't know, my, my idea about this, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's right, but this is where I am right now. And in my understanding of theosis, and this ties into Jordan Peterson, is I think when you follow, it's rule seven, I believe, which is tell the truth or at least don't lie. And you, and you couple into that with Dostoevsky's like, don't lie, especially to yourself. I think part of what at least in the orthodox understanding of theosis or sanctification is is that you purify you purify your eye or your vision so like when jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body and if your eye is well your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is evil your whole body will be full of darkness and paul you brought this up the other day and it's something i've thought a lot about over the past few years but another way you could translate evil is divided or James, the brother of Christ, talks about, um, St. James talks about um, the double-minded man, unstable in all he does, who's tossed to and fro by the waves of life. I think when you, this is why I love Jordan Peterson so much, is I think when you tell the truth, I think in as much as it's possible, if we were truth-telling, especially with ourselves, all of the it doesn't, I don't know. I don't know what it means about hard decisions, but I think a lot of our waffling would of indecisiveness and not knowing and questioning would go away so much because I think you purify your vision to such a point that you, it's not that you don't have disagreements with maybe other people or you see the world differently, but I think that, I think it's coupled with that passage in first Corinthians, which says, or no, it's in Romans where it's, you know, this man thinks one day is holier than the other, and this man thinks Sunday is the appropriate day. Each man should be fully convinced in his own mind. I think if you can stop lying, I think your conscience and your 
noetic knowledge, your noose, the center of your being becomes purified and, and you see with a vision, which may not be the same for everyone else, but I think you can live into it with confidence. And so like a decision like that, I don't know. I mean, if you're, I don't think it's a right or a wrong thing. I don't think you can, I don't think you can figure it out that way. You know what I mean? Like, what should I do? I think it's more of like an inward, intuitive, truth-telling thing. Because there are many right decisions. There's an infinite, I mean, this is the whole problem again, right? There's an infinite amount of things you could do with your mm. surplus of money. It's infinite. Um, but I think our call is to be Christ to the world in our particular circumstances. And I really do believe there's... I don't know. It's it, There's a line from Loris toward the end of the book, Loris. God, that book's so good. That said some, and I'm not going to remember it as well as he wrote it, but it was something like at the end of his life, this character said something like he saw and he realized at the end of his life that there really only was one path. Cause he's, cause the Loris plays with time and it's, and he's thinking about these decisions from his youth and he's thinking about all these different iterations of, he has all these different names throughout the book and all these different people that he was. And at the end, he's looking back through the fire, like his youth. And at, earlier on in the book, he was looking into a fire and seeing himself in the future. Loris is one of these trippy books. And he was saying at the end, he started to see like there only, there, there only ever was one path for me. And I think part of that is the purification of your, I don't know if any of that makes sense. That's, that's that theme Luke is is really focused on in that movie a hidden life right yeah I think that's what that movie's about I don't know if either of you have seen that movie yet are you familiar with what that movie is no I'm keeping myself from it until I can see it ah yeah so we won't go into too many spoilers then or any really <laughs> mm. yeah I think in a lot of ways it's we're, what I was saying we're also two hours in <laughs> <clears throat> And it's about time for me to go make dinner. Ah. Ooh. Eggs? What's on the eggs? <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a keto pizza. Ooh. Lovely. That looked, the, the picture you post on the Discord looked delicious. So think about it. The crust is made out of cheese with some almond flour, egg, and cream cheese. That's just the crust. Wow. Then you add on that more cheese, meat, and some vegetables, and some tomato sauce. You got to lie down after that. It's just <laughs> dense. <laughs> it reminds yeah. me of a Weird Al song. What one is that? One. Um, the Complicated Song. Uh, I don't know that one. Nah. Put, put, it in the, put it in the notes. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it in the notes. <laughs> that'll, probably, that'll probably be most people's favorite thing of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, this, this this went all over the place, but it could, we could Such probably be going on for a while. Yeah. All right, oh. we can stop recording and I'll tell you all what I really think. <laughs> well, I'm glad everybody was able to, to coordinate and get together. This, this is good. I enjoy it. Oh, I enjoyed it too. Thank you so much. Um, it is, it is so much fun. I, I, you know, in all fairness, I, I, on a very regular basis, 
you know, I, I put the, you know, the two, the two convo limit on, which spawned a lot of things. And so I'm not, I don't have any regrets about doing that, but I so do want to swing back and, and just follow up and have more conversations. And, and it's, it's a time. This is why, again, I can't, I can't get rid of my desire for um, the freedom from time and decay because, mm. you know, I could talk all morning with you guys and I don't know if anybody would care to watch it, but <laughs> I would enjoy it. Uh. And, but then, you know, how, and, and that just scales all over my life. So. You're just too popular, Paul. You got to be start being less likable, and fewer people want to talk to you. I didn't used to have this problem. Well, you're you're also too interested in too many things and too many people. That's true. That's, <laughs> yeah. I, I someone someone in the comments section upbraided me for for yes. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Says, You've used that word how many times in this video? I'd say you you should not use this word again. I thought yeah, he's probably right, but that's interesting too. That, that, yeah. It just doesn't. Yeah, there's some there's a lot of fillers that I notice that people all the people in this community use, which will be like, it's complicated, or that's interesting, right. or we'll say, and all the things and the stuff and the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Always wrestling with that which we cannot um get our hands around, grasp. So yeah, that's very interesting. true. <laughs> it's interesting. Well, Job's getting hungry. We got to let him go, and Luke's got to go, and yeah. I've got to go. So, all right. Well, thank you all. I will. I will edit out the middle of the uh, conversation, and I will post it probably, probably sometime next week. So, all right. All right. It's good seeing Bye, you all. Everybody. Wonderful. Have a good day, morning, evening, night. <laughs> Covering.